0: We're calling uh, the Christ of uh, Christmas carols, and so we've, we've used Christmas hymns, Christmas carols um, the last four weeks as kind of a, a jumping off point. Uh, we're not preaching Christmas carols, we're preaching the Bible. But uh, it just so happens that those hymns and carols that we know and love so much are deeply rooted in and, and, and grounded in and filled with The truths of God's word, Um, and for for that, this has been um, the first time I've ever done something like this. You know, use this as our sort of pattern, Um, and I've I've rather enjoyed it because of that. Uh, Second, the comment I'll make is this: next time I go, uh, next time we ever do a series like this, I'm probably going to have to do it came upon a midnight clear because I've always loved the phrase "When peace shall over all the earth." It's ancient splendor fling. What a great image. When peace shows up and takes that ancient splendor of itself and just flings it everywhere. What a great picture. Um, So that'll be uh, somewhere down the road, I'm sure, um, when we come back around, when we circle back around to uh, the Christ of the Christmas carols round two um, in years to come. Psalm 98, again, uh, let me ask if you're able, uh, let's stand as we read God's Word together. Uh, Psalm 98, a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that Fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Here is the reading of God's word. May He write its truths on all our hearts. You may be seated. Uh, some of you will know, uh, I I've, I've, from time to time will use um, soccer illustrations. Uh, some of you know that I have been coaching uh, the JV soccer team at the high school for the last several years. I guess all in. I've probably got 15, 16, 17 years of coaching three different cities, many times not my own kids. Uh, and I I'd rather enjoy watching Premier League soccer, um, Saturday mornings early, there's nobody else up, and and there's English football to be watched. Um, I've, I've been struck by something. You watch all these people, and, and it's true at, at MLS games too, it's true. This seems to be a, a thing around the globe among soccer fans. They are loud, and and they sing, and I get it, I mean, we're in Alabama. There's college football. I mean, I'm a I'm a Clemson guy. We we get we don't get the way they get that kind of cheer and that excitement. They sing. They sing songs. And and I don't know how they all know the words, and I don't know who decides when to start singing and how everybody joins in, and and I just never have fully grasped how that works in English Premier League. Soccer, But it seems to, to stand out. There's just this obvious joy and singing, and they've missed it this year because um, fans have not been allowed in uh, the games. Uh, but it fascinates me to think all, the, all those people, all those thousands and thousands of people singing, but not at a con- not i mean there's a soccer game going on, and somebody had to start, and somebody had to decide to join in, and somebody had to decide what to sing and and how do they all know those words? Singing goes along with celebrations we we know this we understand that singing is a is a sign of celebration it's a sign of 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 enjoyment of of celebrating some feat some activity some event singing goes with with birthdays it it goes with christmas it goes with all of those things that we that we say this is a celebration and so therefore we sing anytime there's some Victory or some special occasion. There's always singing involved. Even the book of Proverbs recognizes you don't sing to a heavy heart. It's like mixing vinegar and soda, Proverbs tells us. That's how you make a volcano in elementary school science fair projects. They don't go together. Well, this psalm obviously predates any Premier League soccer match but it sets the stage for singing at a celebration. Notice first the psalm begins with a call to sing. You see it right there in verse one: "Oh, sing to the Lord a new song." In fact, it begins exactly the way Psalm ninety-six does. You could you could glance back. It's okay. You can look across the page, and you'll see: "Oh, sing to the Lord a new song." Again, the same phrase begins both of those. Psalms and, and without knowing what comes in the rest of the psalm, you're already excited. You've been told to sing, and you've been told to sing a new song, and already, without knowing anything that's coming, you, you kind of get a little excited. You know that whatever comes next is going to be good. It's going to be worth drawing you, enticing you, to sing, but again, the command isn't just sing, it's sing a new song. Now it might be sing this song anew and afresh in a new way, but did you notice what Revelation 5 does? In Revelation 5, we read that, that the host of heaven sang a new song. And they didn't sing Psalm 98. They sang a song about Christ as worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals. Christ as worthy to, uh, because of our salvation, because He has accomplished our deliverance. That song in in Revelation 5 is a song of praise to Christ because of His life, His death, His resurrection and, and defeating death itself. In Revelation 5, we're singing a new song to Christ. In Psalm 98, we're told to sing to the Lord a new song. And, and I have to do it. At this, you're you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but I'm always going to do it. Anytime you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's the English translator's way of telling you that in Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the covenant name of, It's not the generic word God. That's a different Hebrew word. This is is a name. The the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And so the psalmist calls us to sing a new song to a God who has made a covenant. And so we probably ought to have insight just from that name alone. There's going to be something in this psalm about God's covenant faithfulness to his people. The psalmist calls us to sing a new song to the Lord. Can I, can I make one small application right here? You have to, you have to wonder about Christians who hate singing. Think of the, everywhere in Scripture there's a pattern. There's constantly singing and songs and and we're being told to sing and to participate in that. And we who have the greater light ought to be more drawn to singing even than the original audience of Psalm 98. Singing has always been important in the life of God's people God's people have always been singers. Truth is, we have more reason to sing today than the saints did when Psalm 98 was written. Nobody, nobody in the history of mankind has had more reason to sing than believers today. You and I are called to sing a new song to the Lord. Why? Well, the psalm goes on to tell us exactly why. Verses 1 through 3. Notice why we're called to sing. We're called to sing, a, to, a song, a, a sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. And the psalmist points to the work of God in His creation and on behalf of His creation. He's done marvelous things. Okay, well, what marvelous things? Well, just glance. Verses 1 through 3. I'll even give you half a second to do it. There's a word that shows up in each of those three verses. The word salvation is in verse 1. It's in verse 2. And it's in verse 3. The Lord has made known his salvation He has has uh, the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. He has worked salvation for god's people. this deliverance and and god's people knew deliverance they understood what that meant that, that's been the pattern of their life Four hundred years they're in slavery in Egypt, only to be delivered and taken to the promised land. And so they're called to sing because there is salvation, there is deliverance for God's people. There are people out there who will, perhaps you've said it, certainly you've heard it, who will argue that God helps those who help themselves. You know that's not a Bible verse. You know that's not That's not in the Bible. In fact, more often than not, what we see is God doing things for people that they could never in a million years have accomplished for themselves. 400 years in slavery in Egypt. You think it never occurred to them? You know what we should do? We should all get together and unite and band up and let's save ourselves. They didn't do it until God came along and said, let me free you. Let me set you free. Look at the language of verses 1 through 3. There's not a single action verb. There's not a single active verb ascribed to us. God does it all. He has done marvelous things. His right hand, His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the... Not they discovered it. Not God's people went out looking for it and lo and behold, there it was under that rock all along. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness. He has shown His salvation to all the earth. There's a, a picture here that God's people seeing because of the work that God himself has done for us. That's his right hand, his holy arm. It's the language of strength and power and authority. It must be the case that right-handed people are just stronger than left-handed people because that, that's always the picture in the Bible. I take my shot at left-handed people. You know, it's... Again, we live in Alabama. We, we understand college football. Some of us might even get a little too caught up in it. I won't name any names. It's not me. Um, and you watch as, as fans or watch Premier League soccer on Saturday morning when nobody else is up. And the fans are cheering, and, and you can go to Anfield, where Liverpool plays, um, and, and especially if they win, uh, their coach goes down to a little corner and looks up in the stands, and he does this whole cheer thing with them. He has this whole rapport thing going on with, with the fans. They sing, they shout, they, they, they walk out of the stands, and they say, we won. They didn't do anything, right? Right? I mean, I won a football game yesterday from hundreds and hundreds of miles away. As my team was playing in a completely different state, I won a football game. I didn't do anything. The fans don't do anything, and yet they sing and celebrate because of the work of someone else. That's the picture in this psalm. That's the very image. We sing, we celebrate. Why? Because of what God has done for us. Because of what God has done on our behalf. Not because of what we've done ourselves. The psalmist calls us to sing. He tells us why we're supposed to sing. He also shows us who is supposed to sing. There's a sense in which you read this psalm um, I'm sure you're all familiar with Leonard Bernstein, the great conductor. Um, he, he's the only conductor name I know. I, some of you are like, how dare you not know at least a couple others. But he's the only one I could come up with. B- but there's a sense in which you read Psalm 98 and feel like you're watching Leonard Bernstein conduct an orchestra. He, conduct, I, I don't, I really don't know how they do this, Right? They know the music. They know every single part of the music for every single instrument in said orchestra. They know where they are in that moment and are keeping time for everyone who's playing, but they also know what's coming next because they have to be prepared to tell somebody, hey, you're supposed to stop now, and you're supposed to start now. And, and they're constantly giving instruction. They look they point, they turn, they, they come on, build up, crescendo. Song. Hold on, that's a little too much. You've got to come back down a little bit. Like you're watching a conductor tell everyone, and these are all professionals who know what they're doing, but he's still telling them when to start, when to stop, how loudly to play, how softly to play. You read Psalm 98, and it's a little like that. There's a conductor as he works through this psalm, because notice he begins in verse 3. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. The psalmist starts in his own backyard. The people of Israel, uh, the the nation of Israel, throughout the the history of, um, of God's people from before Egypt, brought out of Egypt, delivered to the promised land, Okay, yes, they they split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom gets destroyed by Assyria. The southern kingdom gets carried off into exile in, in Babylon. But he's starting in his own backyard with God's people. And God has remembered his promises. Promises like, I will be God to you and to your children after you. Promises like, I will love you and protect you and care for you and take you out of Egypt and put you in your own land. They're the beneficiaries of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. He's remembered his steadfast love. He's remembered his faithfulness to the house of Israel. But the psalmist doesn't limit, the conductor then turns to the, you know, that's the woodwinds, right? He then turns to the brass. It's your turn now. Because notice what happens in verses 3 and 4. This, this kingdom expands beyond just Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. He's added another section of the orchestra and they're supposed to join their voices with Israel and they're now singing why? Well, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? That God's kingdom has come not just for Israel but for people from every tongue and tribe and nation as we read in Revelation 5. All the ends of the earth has seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise all the earth. This has been a theme throughout the Old Testament. It's it's not merely a New Testament concept that Gentiles would be grafted into God's people. But that's clearly pictured right here in Psalm 98. The the first century Jews missed it. Jesus' contemporaries missed it. They... As I've mentioned before, expected a, a, a warrior on a white stallion in armor, get rid of Rome, save Israel, the nation. And instead, Christ came to inaugurate his kingdom that will go to the ends of the earth. The psalmist actually announces that salvation comes not just to Israel, but to all the nations to the ends of the earth. He's not merely looking back, but the psalmist is actually looking ahead to the day that the Messiah would come and that the Gentiles would be grafted in and and included in this kingdom when salvation is offered not just to Israel, not, not just to the Jews, but to Gentiles also. You and I are the beneficiaries of Psalm 98. It's why Jesus has come. It's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And that extends beyond the borders of Israel to all the nations. That's our reality. But then Leonard Bernstein looks at, I don't know, the percussion section. The strings, that's better. And says, now it's your turn. Because look at verses 7 and 8. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. The rivers clap their hands. The hills sing for joy. Do you remember the Little Mermaid? The Little Mermaid had some great, great songs. But I just... I just have under the sea or even kiss the girl in my head, Sebastian the crab, flounder. You got flamingos and fish and... and Whatever other kind of creatures, birds and fish and everything kind of in between, all singing together about their life under the sea. That's what the psalmist says. Hey, look, creation, you join your voice with the voices of Israel and the Gentiles and add your voice, it's the sea and the things in them. You know, swordfish, king mackerel, dolphins, and the hills, and the rivers. All of creation is called to join their voices with this chorus. In other words, Christ comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? Well, there's weeds in your garden because of Adam and Eve's first sin. So when we sing Joy to the World, which is Isaac Watts' setting of Psalm 98, and we sing he comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found, that's Isaac Watts going, hey, Leonard Bernstein, call in creation now. Tell them to join their voices with the saints. This psalm wants rivers and the sea and the hills to join their voices with God's people. We're called to sing. We're told why we're supposed to sing. We're told who's supposed to sing. Lastly, let me make this connection. Isaac Watts, until Isaac Watts came along um, in the late 17, early 1800s, typically, more often than not, people were just singing the Psalms. And, And Watts set out, he had this idea. He kind of basically asked a question. How would the Psalms be written if they were written after the first coming of Christ? What if... Now, be careful, right? Don't accuse David of being ignorant and just kind of... He's, his words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes God's words. We're not denying that Psalm 98 is exactly what and when God wanted, the Spirit wanted written For us and for his people. So we're not going that far. But in in Watts' mind, he's thinking, how would they sound different if they were written now? In our in-between time. Between the first and second coming of Christ. The first and second advent of Christ. David lived anticipating the Messiah. He knew there was coming a Messiah. He knew he was coming... And he lived and wrote for Israel, God's people, in anticipation of that first coming. How would the Psalms be different if you could look back on Christ and look ahead to his return? And that's in essence what Watts wanted to do with many of his hymns, with uh, his um, paraphrases of uh, the Psalms, for example. A couple of weeks ago, we sang Joy to the World. We started with Joy to the World. And I made the comment that Isaac Watts didn't write a first Advent hymn. He wrote a second Advent hymn. He's he's looking ahead. He's looking back, yes, to the coming of Christ and and that kingdom inaugurated on the earth. But he's also looking ahead to a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord when creation itself will actually cry out and say hey we're all one again and 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 the weeds are gone and the effects of sin are no more they understood deliverance they understood salvation they had been freed from the promised land but they hadn't yet seen the messiah You and I have the privilege of looking back on that day. That's what Christmas is. Celebrating a day when God remembered His salvation and revealed His righteousness in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that kingdom has come. Except look at verses 3 and 4. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into a joyous song and sing praises. Is the kingdom of God everywhere on earth? Well, yeah. Now, okay, you may from time to time fear for the future of the church in the United States, but don't fear for the future of the church, big C, worldwide. Growing like crazy in South America growing like crazy in China where it's expressly illegal, growing in parts of the country you're not allowed to know who the missionaries are there because they could very well have a hand chopped off or worse. Is the kingdom of God everywhere on the earth? Yes. But is the kingdom of God everywhere on the earth? Well, it's not in places that encourage and allow the senseless murder of unborn babies who bear God's image. It's not in places where human beings are treated like second class citizens because of their skin color or the the language that they speak. It's not in places where orphans and widows aren't loved and cared for. In other words, yes, the kingdom of God is here and it's everywhere but it's not yet here in the way it will be when Christ comes back. We long for that day when the kingdom is here in its totality, in its fullness, in its completion. And that day is coming when the kingdom will be so completely fulfilled, so established on the earth that there will be no more wickedness. There will be no more disobedience. There will be no more sin and guilt and shame. When's that? When is that? Well, that's verse 9. When he comes to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. In other words, Psalm 98 looks ahead to the first Christmas. But it actually looks beyond to the second one which is exactly what Isaac Watts has done with Joy to the World, a glance back at the first Christmas, all with the joy and hope and anticipation of the second, when Christ will be present with his people forevermore. May he hasten that day and grow in us a greater love for the lost that we would gather his people in, And in anticipation of Christ's return. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this promise, this assurance, this reminder that you've remembered your promises. You've remembered your faithfulness. And have sent your Son to save us from sin. Father, would you grow in us a a deeper anticipation of the second coming of Christ? And in the meantime, would you be at work sanctifying us, rooting out sin in our lives, growing in us in our love for Christ, growing us in holiness that we might honor and please and serve you? Use us to reach the lost, to take this gospel message to those in desperate need of it. And in the meantime, would we get glimpses of your peace flung across the globe. In Christ's name and for his sake we ask it. Amen.